Welcome back to us at the News Boxing Podcast, part two of this week's uh, of this week's edition. So, how's everyone been since the last last uh, recording? I got a text of my wife saying she thought we'd finished by now, and she's wanted me to go and get her a subway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what subway? Well, she well, oh, who had finished? Us or you guys had finished? The pod. <laughs> what? Me and her? No. <laughs> Uh, no, no, the recording because I said no, no. Her. Didn't you hear? She wants the twelve inches. She's not finished with anything. <laughs> she is with me if she wants twelve inches. <laughs> uh, what subway is she having anyway? I don't know, mate. I haven't texted her back to find out yet. Well, I've texted her. She haven't. We haven't gone into details. I haven't started negotiations. There's no hey bell you. See what I've done there. Talks mm. have happened. See what I've done there. Nice, but first of all, we're talking about no. That's, that's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey Bell U gets announced. Uh, they have some crappy fighting talk on Sky where they just literally just talk over each other for about four minutes. Haven't watched it. It was painful. It was so painful. Who wrote the script? Well, Sideshow Bob? Given. SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> given the lack of sort of cohesion, I mean, it could have been some schizophrenic because it was all over the place I don't think anyone wrote it I think it was literally left up to them to to be like guys just be mongs for four minutes alright <laughs> then crack on just be na- just be natural for four minutes it's an absolute fucking stinker of a fight right let's just put this out there straight away you've got the cruiserweight who stepped up from light heavyweight and he's run away from light heavyweight and he's not bothered to try and clear up cruiserweight before moving on to this oh no grudge match against David Hay. Like A, there's no grudge, don't fucking buy that. B, it's a ridiculous fight because David Hay is gonna flatten him within three rounds. C, you've got the likes of David Coldwell. I had a Twitter conversation with him earlier where he was talking about um you know, you've got to take risks, he's um, you know, everybody's doubting that he can do it. I said, Well it's all well and good, but Ultimately, like, if somebody... (laughs) He was saying it's the biggest risk and the biggest reward fight. And I said, that's fine. But, like, if someone was going to pay me $50 million to get to the moon, I can't get to the moon. I can't do it. It's not actually physically (laughs) possible. Same as it's not physically possible for Tony Bell. You know, no matter how much he's getting paid for this, and fair play to him, I hope he's getting paid well, he will not win that fight. It's not a fight I'm interested in. Why is he not fighting at cruiserweight still? Why is David Hay not fighting heavyweights? The whole thing is an absolute mess. I just... I, I can't disagree. I just... I, to let listeners in on this, I just looked just in, in, sort of blank-faced at Terry. Just give me something. But that this does, is a schizophrenia of Eddie Hearn, right? This is Eddie Hearn saying to Coogan, listen, we need to start having real fights in 2017. The competition's going to step up. We need to step up. As much as and people know I'm a big David Hay fan for a number of reasons, but this isn't a fight I want to see. It's not because no, but at least it gets it out of the way, I suppose. But you know, guess what? what out the way? There was nothing in the way. No, but yeah. people were still talking about it, weren't they? As a Who? Fight. 
these these same well, bloggers who don't do anything other than sit in their mum's well, house. Actually, you know what I'm thinking at Bellu was talking I've about. I've seen the amount of people that have said they're looking forward to it because it was great banter between the two of them. You people are fucking mental. Nobody wins here. You're- Whoever wins, th- that winner is going to be... Well, which will be David Hay. He's going to be a cunt. He's always been a cunt. <laughs> Bellu's a cunt. They're both going to be cunts. <laughs> so, David Hay, if he wins, he's knocked out a cruiserweight. Like, big deal. I can see why David Hay's doing this, because he's got the WBO title shot lined up for... You know the winner of Parker versus Ruiz, so he's doing something that will keep him busy whilst he waits for that. Now he's going to get paid a lot of money for this. What's a very, very interesting point? There are more than just rumours, and have a look at Shannon Briggs' Instagram account for any information on this. But there's more than just rumours that David Hay had signed with Frank Warren. Frank Warren was meant to be building his big launch of BT, apparently, around the David Hay fight in February, March time that they were lining up. Uh, Again, have a look at what uh, Shannon Briggs has put on Instagram about this and how uh, he's going to sue Hay because there was an agreement in place and how Hay has fucked over Frank Warren. Um, That's a very, very interesting subplot to all of this that there is no doubt whatsoever there was some kind of agreement between David Hay and Frank Warren uh, that Hay is clearly reneged on in some capacity to go and take this fight. Um, quite what it was, whether it's all the pieces falling into place, I don't know. But there was clearly something there and that's going to be, I say, something that bubbles under a little bit in the meantime. But we're, but we're now looking at this going, what's the sport coming to? Because in the old days, heavyweights fought heavyweights. We worked out who the best heavyweight was. Cruiserweights fought cruiserweights, cleaned up, then moved up to heavyweight. Now what we're basically saying is anyone can do what they want as long as there's a check at the end of it. But who's paying for that check? It's us, for God's sake. We end of the day, we act like, we act like boxers get money from fucking aliens or something. Well, we, we, we pay for this. It's the, it's the wacky world of 2016, mate. Anything could happen between now and the end of the year. And that's what's scary at the moment. That's really, that's the scariest thing about all of this is that what's next? You know, it's not just going to be that. It'll be Chris Eubank Jr. going, well, why can't I fight Conor Ben? Why? (laughs) Satisfy some casuals. Yeah, the casuals will love that. Ben Eubank always wanted to see how this would happen in my time. It's just it's it's Connor Ben walking out looking like man at arms from He Man because he's put on so much weight that's not right for his body and Eubank look walking more like out fat bastard out of Austin Powers <laughs> and Eubank it? walking out like he's got AIDS and then having to have a fight. It's it's absolutely madness. Um, I hope I pray to God anyone listen to this, please do not get on StubHub, do not get on Matchroom, do not try and buy tickets, do not order it on pay per view. I would just love there to be. I know it's never going to happen. I'm living in a slightly idyllic world. I'd love there to be no revenue stream behind this whatsoever. Stream so it. Hearn, just stream it. Hearn has to pay for every penny of it out of his own back pocket. <laughs> like, if, if it was an empty O2, if there were like three, Barry, Eddie Hearn. There's one bloke in there. Couple of board members. Wish. Whatever they, John Wishard. John Wishard. And one bloke who bought a £50 ticket at the back who's now been like, thrown down on the front row. That is my dream of what the O2 looks like that night. 
I know it's not going to happen, don't get me wrong, but nobody at home paying for it, everybody's streaming it apart from one bloke up in Scumthorpe who's paid full price and he's streaming it out to the rest of the UK. Let's do this. But it goes to show that there are two, that, that there are two rules that don't... I mean, so there's one rule for Eddie's friends and there's one rule for Eddie's fighters. So you know Tony Bell, you said to Eddie, look, look at these cruiserweight fights. What's going to make me two and a half million quid out of these cruiserweights? None of them. Who can I make two and a half million quid with? David Hay. I've, yeah, always, I've always hated David Hay. <laughs> it's clearly a money yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, what we boil yeah, it down yeah. to, so, right? So, so Eddie sits there and goes, wow, wow, we need an angle. You know, that cheesy grin of his. Yeah, Bellie's like, I pretend I don't like you, man. We just make it like Creed. Yeah, and that's essentially what this is. It's, 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 it's a bit of Hollywood, just mixed in with bullshit, essentially. And... Sadly, it'd be a fight that I do watch. I don't want to. I'll watch it because I want to see Bell. You get flattened yeah, with a jab. Yeah, yeah. Which I expect everyone who's watching it is going to be watching because I'll be watching it for free. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but, but, but look, let's be real. The last time Bell you fought an elite level athlete, Adonis Stevenson happened. Yeah. The last 30 seconds of that fight are worth watching because it's rare you see fear in a boxer. It's rare you see a boxer turn. You know what's going to happen, don't you? It's it's most people who are going to... to, Look, the people turned out to watch um, Hay fight Mark Demore. This this is going to be a massive fight in terms of revenue. It just is, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, you know, let's clean up the Demori mess. Right? We'll, we'll have Hay versus Bell U one, two, and three. <laughs> you see, we we slag off Demori after the fact, and we slag off the the fake Cobra after the fact. Those two were on the list of names for Joshua to fight in 2016 before the IBS strip that... Tyson Fury. So 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 when when David jumped in there, they, they was like, well, yeah, you know, this is this is who you come back against. It makes sense. Now we know because yeah, David decimated both of them. We know that they're bums. So so you know you know he's getting a hard time over this comeback. I just think the worst thing that happened to the heavyweights was Fury winning. As much as I love Tyson Fury and I think he's great, it's allowed the snakes to behave like this. All right, so it's not him winning. It's his I want to disappear off. down a rabbit hole here, but. What happens if Tyson Fury hadn't have beaten? Because we've referred back to this a few times. Let, let's have a, a brief sort of go back there. What happens if Fury hadn't beaten Klitschko? What then happened? <laughs> yeah. Then there's a queue. Like, like the old days, there's a queue, right? To fight Klitschko. Yes, for the belts. And Klitschko's happy to pay people step-aside money. So you know you'll get your turn eventually. And you could predict who Vladimir Klitschko would fight. You right, know? And, but he's already, he'd already felt hey. Fury's now lost to him. So yeah. who is he going to fight? There's going to be any sort of serious challenger. Povetkin, Wilder, Parker, Ortiz, Josh, and all of those Malina, are. Malina, all, all these, are they all credible fighters? Well, they're, they're credible names. They're credible. Yeah, you'd have what you're having now with Joshua, but but with, at least with Vladimir, he gives everyone a chance. As long as as long as you take your step aside money, don't complain to the governing body. You'll get your chance, and he'll tell you where you are in the queue, unless you're Shannon Briggs. Okay, um, let's move on. Unless we've got anything more to say, you wanna? No. No. For Bell, you and Hay. I, Fuck I, that I, I expected that would be that would be the uh, case. Oh, but let's talk about 
Ortiz versus Allen. It seems like uh, given we're talking about, well, I don't know. We're in the category of right now, we're, you know, enter the department of fights that shouldn't happen. Let's add this one to it. Like, hopefully people at home realise we're all big fans of David Allen, personally and professionally. This is a man who has had, uh, what, less than 20 fights in his whole career. Let's go back to what Terry was talking about on part one of this about fighters having professional and amateur fights to build it up. Dave Allen's had under 20. Luis Ortiz had over 300. This is not a fight that David Allen should be in. Um, I don't know how much he's getting paid for this. I hope it's a lot. I respect The one person you can't blame out of this is David Allen. Like, David Allen... He's a man who wants fights. He's been calling for this fight for ages. So, like... Let's not criticise David Allen for this, but let's criticise the situation that Hearn has made, that the governing bodies have made, that everybody bar David Allen has made out of this. Um, what should be happening is that Luis Ortiz is fighting Anthony Joshua, and if David Allen's going to be used, he can fight Eric Molina. That's what should be happening on December the 10th. Make Eric Molina look good, and then put him in with Joshua after. Instead, you've got... It's the wrong way round. Like, out of those four, if you were going to use them in whatever hypothetical scenarios it's the wrong way round David Allen is I, I just hope David Allen we all know he's got a, a rock solid chin he took those shots from White without any problem at all he's notoriously got a very hard chin I just hope it's not to his detriment I hope that he comes through this fight okay um, you wouldn't lay a penny on David Allen to win this fight and that's with the greatest of respect to him as I say I'm a huge David Allen fan I message David Allen regularly I hope he does as well as he can. You know, I hope he wins it. Fuck it, I hope he wins it. But I, I do not see in the same way. I don't see how Bellew beats Hay. I don't see how Allen beats Ortiz. Um, when is it happening? December tenth. Right. Okay. Look, let's go. Let, let, let's let's use Eddie's own words. If Dave Allen was my own fighter, would he be fighting Luis Ortiz? No. But he's not my fighter, so he is fighting Lewis Ortiz. I don't understand that. That's a schizophrenic. Guys because got... even a fight of this poor quality is still too good <laughs> no, no. for Eddie Hearn to be arranging. Dave, Dave Dave Allen is a guy who's great for boxing. Look, he's, he's he 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 talks. People listen. He has an impact. I think he's class. He's a good man. He's an intelligent man as well. And what he's doing now is he's he's realised. He has no machine protecting him. So he has to do what he can to put a roof over his head. And this is the sad reality of boxing. Now, you're watching Dave Allen, a guy who, at this stage in his career, should be fighting guys like Matt Skelton, Michael Sprott. He should be given bodies so he can perfect his craft. Instead, he's having to face the toughest of the toughest. The guy who's sparring with Joshua up in Team GB... Then you're fighting White, you're sparring White, you're you're fighting Luis Ortiz next. And let's be absolutely clear about this. If you compare David Allen to Malik Scott, Malik Scott is a light years more experienced. You know, he's been in a more elite environment for longer. So I don't see how this is a forward step for Luis Ortiz, other than Eddie Hearn saying, well, we needed to put him in with someone who would give him a fight. Now let's go back to the Dillian White situation. Allen wasn't throwing a lot of punches in that fight. I think we forget that. So I don't understand Eddie's logic in this. <laughs> it does remind me, there was a brilliant, brilliant tweet and apologies to whoever made it because I can't remember who it was. 
but just said, um, you've signed, Lu- it was to Eddie Hearn, at Eddie Hearn, um, you've signed Luis Ortiz and he's gone from fighting Bryant Jennings to fighting Dave Allen. Like, what are you going to do next? <laughs> Sign Lomachenko and get him from fighting Nicholas Waters to banging him in with Martin J. Ward. <laughs> That's basically what we're talking about right now. Um, it's it's the worst kind of matchmaking, promoting, all of that. Mismanagement. Mismanagement. Um, you know, I feel for... Da- David Allen's in it for the money in this fight. Uh, make no mistake about it. As I say, I would love nothing more than on December the 10th to see David Allen spark Luis Ortiz out. Is it likely to happen? No. Um, I just hope he's getting paid well and I hope it doesn't... Yeah, If he's looking at having a longevity to his career and Dave, if you listen, I hope you are. I hope, you know, <laughs> this fight, I don't want you shipping any punishment you don't need to have and I hope you come through it and, you know, you pick up some lessons. Luis Ortiz will teach you some lessons in it, I'm sure. Who advises Dave Allen? Because, listen... He can pick up the phone. I'll, I'll sit there and just be a voice of reason. Anyone. Anyone's willing to be a voice of reason here. That would just say sometimes, you know, sometimes you shouldn't listen to yourself. You might want to listen to other people because I I worry about this trend because I want Dave Allen to get to 40 and be healthy and be strong. Given that Dave Allen spoke or the, the rumours that he'd, he'd, he'd spoken about £10,000 fight purse for when he fought Dylan White, what sort of money could he be getting here that you'd think is worth it for taking the risk of getting in the ring with Luis Ortiz? It depends what his lifetime aspirations are. His lifetime aspirations are to stay in boxing um, and, you know, after this fight, learn from it and go on, then, you know, it'd be a reasonable amount. If your lifetime aspirations are to go into teaching after this or to go and become a mechanic... Five million pounds. Do you know what I mean? Like, take this as your cash out fight. Take this as your big money opportunity and get out of the sport. But it's not going to be that amount. It's going to be <laughs> somewhere in the region, I'd imagine, 20 grand, 30 grand, something like that. You know, and it's a reminder to people that not all boxers are millionaires. You know, there are guys who, who have to hustle just to hustle. So I wish Dave Allen the best. Um, probably a guy too intelligent to box professionally. Um, but it's not for me to tell him what to do. Listen, all the best to the guy. We're 110% behind him in all that he does. Yeah, because to be fair, I mean, if he if he gets £10,000 for one fight, then he gets £10,000 for another fight in a year, let's say. That's only twenty grand. That he's, I mean, admittedly, they're probably some smaller fights. But if these are the two biggest fights of his career and he's only made £20,000 out of a pair of them, or even £30,000, that's nothing yeah, in the look, grand scheme of things, is it? The problem is David Allen says it himself. He's not a ticket seller. He can't sell tickets very well. People aren't that interested. Like They're interested in social media, but that doesn't transpire into buying tickets to see him fight. And so what are his options at this point? Like A, he gives up the sport. B, he goes back to small hall shows and has to develop a way of selling tickets somehow, which isn't easy for anyone at all. And completely appreciate that. And the third option is that you talk your way into these matchroom shows and you end up by doing that, you know, they're not going to pay you this amount to go and fight Nathan Gorman on a Frank Warren show. Do you know what I mean? Like this is his big opportunity again. Like, so he's going to get paid a bit of money for it. Um, and it beats going around doing a small hall shows, but hopefully David comes through this perfectly fine and can tell his grandchildren in like 50 years time about how he fought Luis Ortiz at the O2. Like, 
that's what we ought to be hoping for out of this. Seems like a good time to seamlessly transition into our questions. We have a question from Alex Kingsley, and he asks, at what point is a fight sanctioned in the contract process, and how can the BBFC not sanction Allen versus White, but are happy to sanction Ortiz versus Allen? Okay, there's a difference there. So the British Boxing Board of Control, they didn't sanction Allen White at first for the British title. That's very different to not sanctioning the fight. They'd have allowed that fight to go ahead. It's just... When they first went to do it, it wasn't going to be for the British title. Um, Eddie Hearn would have paid over much money to get it done in the end. So when he talks about um, sanctioning, the sanctioning is very different between allowing a fight to go ahead and allowing a fight to go ahead for a British title. Uh, David Allen was deemed not to be experienced enough uh, when they first tried to arrange it. Nothing changed and then he was experienced enough. Nothing changed apart from the bank balance of the British Boxing Board of Control, I would imagine. It does pose the bigger question about why on earth the board are allowing this fight to go ahead I haven't got an answer for that there isn't an answer for that in the current climate where we've seen a handful, you know we've had the the death of Mike Tao, we've had the handful of injuries that have been fairly high profile of late I would have thought they would have started to um, become a little bit more stringent on what they are or aren't allowing to go ahead. I know of many stories of um, matchmakers, promoters, trying to get fighters um, passed by the board. So what happens is the um, the promoter will try and get an opponent. Say you're getting a foreigner in. They will go and uh, negotiate with that foreigner to come over. And then you go to the board and ask, you know, for Liglov, Liglov to come over and fight your 5-0 and prospect or whatever. Now, it's down to someone at the board to assess whether or not that person is of a good enough standard to be allowed into a British <laughs> boxing ring to fight your prospect. Could you please get someone in that just says no to most of these asks? Well, it's, there are quite a lot that get turned away. Like There are quite a lot that just don't get allowed in by the British God, board. God, how bad are those boxers? Yeah, but you think the likes of Latvian and Hungarian gyms where fights don't actually happen. Like, they might get recorded on BoxRec. BoxRec have started to now request videos of all fights that happen because these gyms out in Eastern Europe were so prevalently just making fights up. Like, you can look for a fighter's record and there's a fairly good chance a lot of these gym fights just never actually happened. Um, And so somebody at the board has got... You know, say they get this request through from Matchmaker A that they want to get Gligloglov Legloglov over next Saturday... What have they got to go on for that? So all they're going to be able to do is go and look on box record or whatever or try and find some footage and find out if that person is deemed a good enough standard to be able to come over and fight their prospect. Um, and whether they are or aren't is ultimately what makes up that decision. Um, you know, box rec is, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, used by a lot of people within the profession to make those kind of decisions. Why you allow... David Allen versus Luis Ortiz, which are two people that everyone knows the levels they're both at. Everyone knows the discrepancy between where they're both at. Quite why you allow that fight to go ahead. Who funds the British Boxing Board of Control more than anyone else will be the promoter in the country who generates the most money. The British Boxing Board of Control is essentially... Uh, what they do is they take like a, a tax almost out of the promoter's income, out of everybody's income, and it goes into funding the board. Now, 
which promoter in the country do you suspect is paying the most money into Robert Smith and the rest of the board? Any guesses? Eddie Hearn. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shock that huh? <laughs> yeah. So mm. when he wants to get David Allen versus Luis Ortiz on, are the board ever going to turn it down? Probably not, because ultimately... Rightly or wrongly, there are other options out there for Hearn to go and take his business to. I feel like when you say rightly or wrongly, I generally tend to side with wrongly. <laughs> it probably means wrongly. Yeah, you know, there's other sanctioning bodies you can use out there. There's the, you know, the fucking Maltese lot or Bieber or whatever they're called. Not Justin, but B-I-B-A. Um, you know, there are other options ultimately that Hearn and co could turn to to run their boxing through it doesn't have to be done through the British Boxing Board of Control that's a choice um, yeah so you know who's funding it for the majority it will be the likes of Hearn and Warren who are the ones that are making the biggest money out of the sport they're the ones that are putting it back in and money makes the world go around makes David Allen fight Luis Ortiz happy days okay Terry uh, JFB Sports asks or is there a need for all levels of spine to be monitored, i.e. a license for the ring, and the, the BBBFC for random checks to ensure there's a correct first aid or first aiders present? Wow. Um, thanks, JFB. So let's start with the amateur side of things. So in the amateur side, in your gym, you will have someone qualified to supervise sparring. That's normally a level two coach. So, for example, I'm a level two coach. I'm first aid trained. Um, it wouldn't be economic to have a paramedic in your sparring sessions three times a week. Just you'd bring most boxing gyms to their knees. So on the amateur side, you normally have enough coaches and bodies to, to regulate the sparring. So we're not going to put people in there where we think it's dangerous. Or if we do think it's dangerous, we'll pull people out. We, I mean, so sparring is self-regulated that way. Um, in a professional setup, you things are far more far better planned so if you're a pro let's say you're a middleweight you i mean your trainer will phone his network and go i need a middleweight who's a southpaw who will give my guy decent work and then you trust your contact has the right guy and because of the way boxing works where we all have to work with each other it's rare that people take the piss and send a ringer over so sparring is pretty self-regulated because if you have a bad reputation in the sport it will normally follow you do you need the british board to intervene in that no what you do need is people to be more honest and self-regulate so i i I don't imagine that this question always a tricky one when it comes to human nature and 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 this is a nick blackwell problem right nick blackwell following his the brain injury he sustained against chris eubank jr thought it would be a good idea to jump in and spar. Maybe he wasn't aware of neurological injuries and how, while people can say that you're fully functional again... This is recently, right? Yes. Yeah. This is the news that's come out that he suffered an injury whilst sparring, right? While sparring. So, like, with my coach's head on, number one, I'm like, who the hell let this happen? That's the first thing I want to know. Who the fuck let this happen? Number two, the person who's in the ring with him... I'd probably drag out and give a slap to because you're playing with someone's life. Now, I'm hypothesizing here. I'm sure there was a lad in there going, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But it's Nick Blackwell. He's like, oh, come on, man. I just need to find out if if I can still do it, if I still got it. 
And, you know, you can get worn down in a situation. It might have even been Nick's own gym. So politically, excuse me, so politically it's quite hard to then say no. And then you get this disaster, you know. And now we're all looking going, how was this allowed to happen? Boxing's at its best when we can all trust each other. And that's what makes it brilliant because there are very few piss takers in the sport and they don't last long because eventually there'll be a guy that'll put the beating on you. So, illustrate a point. There was a lad that came into our gym and he lied about his experience and you know he said he'd never had a fight before jumps in the ring and from the way he was moving you knew he had done something before so we said okay fair enough and he said have you got anyone else for me so we put one of our more experienced lads in threw him in there simple instructions you know match whatever level he wants to go to if you feel he's taking the piss deal with him regulate it in there that's the expression we use just regulate it so after three rounds the ringer comes and goes, nah, nah, no more, no more. Because there, yeah, th- that's how you regulate it. He won't take the piss again because he knows that's what will happen. So I, d- I don't think you need British Boxing Board of Control intervention in There's that There's not point. the money to do it anyway. Yeah. You just need people to be more honest and regulate their own situations. And what you'll find is the sport will be better for it. Mark Ewan asks, what is your favourite ring walk slash most embarrassing? Uh, it was Uzi Ahmed that did his um, like ten minute ring walk dancing down to the ring. Uh, proper gave it big nuts on the way down. Go and find it on YouTube somewhere. Uzi, uh, who then gets sparked out in the first round by <laughs> was it Adam yeah. Dingsdale? I think <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was Dingsdale. In absolute in a leisure centre in a leisure centre dancing his way through the the rows of seats. It was um, like a Nassim Hamed like attempt at some sort of yeah. It was like to that, Tesco value Nassim yeah. Hamed. Um, it looked like he was actually. I, I thought he was taking the piss at first. Yeah, yeah, and like he was. <laughs> highly confident and he goes in there and Dingsdale absolutely iced him within a round yeah. um, so that's got to be the most embarrassing slash cringeworthy favour has got to be Prince Nassim isn't it really like who doesn't Which love was it? what was it from you got to give it a shout out the one where he's stuck behind the curtain oh the Kevin Kelly one where yeah. he uh, the curtain apparently didn't open <laughs> yeah. and so he was just dancing behind the curtain for the best part of 15 minutes for those of you well, who have seen Kelly. it Kevin Kelly there's, there's a few it. there was um, ah, god it was the Irish guy that he was fighting on Halloween when he went through the um, ah bollocks what's his name uh, Wayne McCulloch where uh, was that the one that he did on Halloween where he was going through the graveyard and just punching heads off of uh, gravestones and shit <laughs> There was the one where he came down on the flying carpet. Um, <laughs> yeah, like who doesn't love a Nassim entrance? Yeah. They just don't make him like that anymore. I think the only one, I, the one I did enjoy and I did chuckle was it was when Floyd came down to the ring in the sombrero. Yes, I think, I think it was Floyd, Fifty Cent, and Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah, and he just had the sombrero. <clears throat> yeah, a special shout out for Chris Eubanks Senior as well, I guess, with his uh, vault over the ropes. Like that was something yeah. a little bit cool. Okay, dream scenario. Who's the more skilled and who wins out of Lomachenko or Rigondeaux if Rigondeaux was to move up? Oh, man. Um, this is for, that's from David McGinley at David McGinley so, 89. So, so, so the thing is, offensively, I think Lomachenko has the edge because he attacks in many dimensions. So Lomachenko can attack going to the left, he can attack going to the right, straight arm shots, bent arm shots. He, he has everything in his repertoire to attack. His defense isn't magical. It's effective, but it's not magical. Rigondeaux, exact opposite. Very bread and butter 
offensively, very much jab, double jab, in, into a backhand. You know, he doesn't deviate much from that, and he's been able to break down most of his opponents doing that. Defensively, he's an absolute marvel. You know, dip, slip, pivot, dip, slip, pivot, left, right, doesn't matter. He can he can get in and out of situations so quick. So when the two fight, you imagine it will be about who has the more effective punch power. And I think Lomachenko might have that edge. But having said that, I think Rigondeaux's been in probably in far tougher situations. So it's a fight everyone wants to see. You know, let, let, let's see these amateur standouts, you know, legitimize who they are in the professional game, go against each other, get the fight out of the way. It's a good payday for both of them because this will capture the, you know, the casuals and the, you know, the hardcore alike because everyone understands that this is a fight for who is the most skillful boxer in the sport at the moment. Um, David McGinney also asks, the winner of Chisora versus White, what is next for them and how far does that bring them? Uh, how far does it bring them? Well, for Chisora, he's been there and done it, so I don't think a win over White does anything for him other than puts him back to perhaps where he was. So it's a WBC eliminator. Um, it's not a final eliminator. Eddie Hearn forgets to mention that. He always just says it's an eliminator, which makes you think that the winner's going to go on and fight for the title next. He's so forgetful. <clears throat> yeah, oh no, he he really does just suffer with that little momentary lapse in concentration when always he's selling. Always to his profit, but it's you know, yeah. un- unfortunate uh, for him. So yeah, he'll uh, he'll continue to forget that. So ultimately it puts a winner on a path down to a final eliminator to fight Deontay Wilder. Um, what does it do for each of them for Dillian White it legitimises him if he comes through Derek Chisora for Derek Chisora it gives him a bit of a an Indian summer to his career almost doesn't it that Dillian White is the young prospect coming through it gives Derek Chisora the opportunity to prove that actually he's not finished yet and maybe we find out who the donkey is <laughs> uh, final one from David McGinley Bar GGG who are the main talents in middleweight and how far could Eubank and Billy Joe Saunders go versus these? So uh, it's a big question. Let's try and sort so, of boil it down for us. So so if you look at heavyweight at the moment, Golovkin's kind of just cleaned house. Middleweight, sorry. Oh, uh, middleweight, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Golovkin's just cleaned house. Um, Whatever name you mention, Golovkin's probably torn through them. So you look at someone like Curtis Stevens who's on the road back and he fought on the Ward undercard. You know, but... He got absolutely battered by Golovkin. Um, you you know you've got guys like who so so of the non-Golovkin victims. You're looking at Daniel Jacobs. Um, he's probably the best of the bunch. You know we don't know what his chin's like. We know that Pirog definitely smashed him in the chin, but Pirog is no longer you know what I mean he's boxing unfortunately. But Jacobs has the power. Billy Joe is up there as well in terms of movement. And you know, just boxing ability and boxing now. So, where would you put Eubank Jr.? I don't think Eubank Jr. would fancy the fight with Jacobs. I think Jacobs hits too hard, and that would be very discouraging. So, he'd be looking to someone like I think Eubank Jr. versus Curtis Stevens would be a hell of a fight because no one there is looking to to back down. But the the division is flat because no one wants to move up in the traditional sense where a lot of these young guys would have moved up to 160 but you don't want to move up because you're like I'll make more money fighting Canelo at 154 
and I don't want to get sparked out by Golovkin at 160 and then have to work my way up the ladder again. So all these guys like the Charlo brothers at 154, could they move up? Probably. Demetrius Andrade, could he move up from 154? Probably. Canelo, prime example, could he move up? Definitely. Um, so all of these guys are waiting for Golovkin to move up. And then what you'll see is 160 will become the hot division again. Right, one for you, Martin, from Glenn Connolly. He asks, where does Ward go from here? I see him beating Kovalev in the rematch convincingly. Uh, if you could, it'd be nice for him to fight somebody uh, like Stevenson. Uh, if, he could, if he could find a pen and sign a proper fight. Uh, where does he go after? I don't want to see him fighting a mandatory. I think that's pretty much the gist of the message. Yeah. Uh, firstly, personal apologies to Glenn. Uh, he sent me this on Facebook before we recorded last week's, uh, but I didn't actually see it in my messages. So apologies entirely, Glenn. Um, so where does he go from here? Wherever the money is, is going to be the answer to that. Now, he's spoken about going up to heavyweight. He started comparing himself to Roy Jones Jr. in that sense. I think we discussed it last week. So apologies, we're probably going to... Or, you know, last week probably touched on some of this naturally anyway. Um, does he go up to heavyweight? Well, it depends on who holds a heavyweight title. If there's somebody small enough for him, he's, you know, a reasonable uh, size. If you could get a, a smaller heavyweight champion, then, you know, I'm sure he probably would fancy a go at it. Where does he go from here? Donis Stevenson hasn't been in any rush to sign any fights with, you know, worthwhile fighters. I, I don't see a Donis Stevenson rushing in to fight this one. I think the Kovalev rematch is more than likely to happen. Who knows, really? You know, if Kovalev did come through and want a rematch, then you're more than likely going to see a trilogy of it because that's where the money will be again. Um, but if he beats Kovalev in the rematch convincingly, then, you know, he's going to have to start looking at other options, almost becoming like a, a bit of a freak show circus act in either going up or coming down in weight and, you know, going through some divisions. But, you you know, we, we criticise Tony Bellew for doing that. Andre Ward is a different talent. Andre Ward has, you know, far more ability than Tony Bellew to be able to do that. Whether we can take it all the way to heavyweight is <laughs> a little bit mental, but, you know, let's see. Terry, uh, Sam Khan at Bless With Work asks, <laughs> what is she phrases it, Seriously, though, surely this trend of mismatches is not unprecedented, or are we in a new era of boxing? Oh, God, go back to the 60s, fighting bums. You know, Joe Lewis had the bum of the month club where he was just fighting guys who no one had heard of. Boxing's always done that because it's a, it's a sport of extreme highs and extreme lows. There, there's never anything in the middle in boxing. It's not like football. Football, you can have a nil-nil, a one-nil, and then you can have a five or six-nil. But boxing is kind of it's all or nothing so what happens is you know look let's take modern examples if you had anthony joshua versus david hay you'd fill out wembley it'd be an incredible fight toe-to-toe -to -toe, maybe someone gets knocked out where do they go after that there's nowhere to go after that considering the longevity of a boxer's career because really you could fight all the guys you wanted to in one year then you'd have no one left to fight so the mismatches will always happen because you have to build the wave. So you've got to fight someone who's crap, then someone slightly better, then someone slightly better, then someone incredible. Once you get that, you want to reset. Maybe not right down to where you were before, but you'll reset it back down and build it all again. That's, that, that's the revenue model behind boxing. Um, I think it was far more cynical, you know, in the 60s when, when they could hide things from the public and they could convince you that people were half decent. Nowadays, you Eddie Hearn's still fucking doing that. 
but the thing is, yeah, but, but the whole point is, we, still trying. we can call him up on it. We can yeah. call Spencer Fear up on it. You know, if this was the 60s, Spencer Fear would be, I mean, we, we, we'd be leaving burnt offerings at his feet, you know? He'd be, he'd be that sort of sage that we'd all bow down to. But we all have information now. We, we have the same information he has. So we know that these are mismatches. But in the old days, we didn't know. You know, like, you know, he had great fights. Look, go back to the 70s. Bob Foster, light heavyweight champion, light heavyweight, great, one of my favorite fighters, fought both Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, got knocked out in both fights. No one said those were mismatches. It was Bob Foster going from lightweight to heavyweight and testing himself. But deep down, they were mismatches because Foster's 175 pounds, Ali was 220 pounds, you know. So, eh, it, it will always happen. We just need to be vigilant of it and call people out when the fights are bullshit. Okay, Simon King's text in, and he wants to know about um, rosters each, similar to Raw SmackDown, you guys to pick five boxes each. Now, we did touch on this a few podcasts back, so I don't want to kind of repeat what we've been, what we've done in the past. Um, so, why don't we maybe boil it down to were you to be a uh, you know a heavenly promoter so to speak you've got a you've got a nail down three top quality fights to bring in the most revenue for 2017 who do you choose uh, let's say four fights and choose two each fights or fighters i've lost the plot here well, let's just do fights choose fantasy fights with fantasy fighters from any stable whatever hey joshua eubank junior gross Terry? Groves to Gale, and I'm going to go Fury Joshua. Uh, sorry to bore your question down so, so much, Simon, uh, but I just want to give you a shout out for it. It's, uh, it's something, like I said, it was something we touched on a few podcasts back. But, but, but what would be interesting is if we considered picking a roster today for three to five years down the line. So you can pick guys today, but if you flipped it, and maybe to us, Simon, it's a question for another show. Yeah, I think that's but, probably fair. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. if you if you're picking, thinking actually, I need guys who are going to generate <clears throat> money three years from now. Let's put on the back think? burner for now. Okay, let's. Kenza Gray asks: um, Should the referee have been stricter with Kovalev when he was holding in the fight against Ward? No, not necessarily. I mean, uh, Ward was still getting off his body shots whilst Kovalev was holding. It's ultimately, what probably won Ward the fight um, was being able to get in. It's what Ward does. You know, Kovalev wasn't holding effectively enough. Uh, I, don't, I don't personally think that the ref should have, uh, you know, been more stringent upon um, Kovalev. I think, you know, Kovalev wasn't doing it effectively enough to stop Ward being able to get his shots off. So, you know, where... Kovalev should have done it better and should have done it, you know, more, you know, in a stronger hold, uh, if anything, be my view. Uh, Gary LDN, just want to give you a shout out. You asked uh, whether, you know, our thoughts on Alan versus Ortiz, it doesn't sit well with you. Obviously, we've covered that, but I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you very much for the question. And a question from... Titch asks Tash it's Tash down oh is it Tash uh, is, she's called Titch on uh, on Twitter but Tash you uh, hello Tash like to see her down at York Hall she's uh, very involved with Paddy Fitzpatrick down in Swindon and the whole boxing scene that's developing down there so uh, keep up the good work down there 
Uh, what should the plan of attack be for Richard Commie out in Russia next weekend, apart from taking his own food? Terry. Um, so if you go back to Commie's fight against Robert Easter Jr. for the IBF belt, he came short because it was a pretty one-dimensional attack. He survived on toughness and having a pretty destructive right hand. So he's fighting Shafikov for a right to then rematch Robert Easter for the IBF belt. The right hand is solid. I'd like to see him vary that attack. So I'm a big believer in uppercuts define really, really good fighters. The ability to deliver an uppercut shows you're thinking in multiple dimensions. So, you know, doubling up, going from right uppercut to straight right. If he just wants to commit to the right side, right uppercut, straight right, or straight right into left uppercut into a straight right again. Just being creative in how he manipulates his opponent, you know, and as I said about Lomachenko, it's that foot speed that differentiates fighters as well. Because if, if Komi can just throw the right hand, slide to the side immediately, punch another right hand in, he's got two angles for that right hand. One is bound to land on the chin, the ear or the temple. And that's what's going to cause the most damage. But he needs to get away from that linear in and out attack that he tried against Robert Easter. Okay, we're coming to the end of this monster, even if it's been split into two. For us, it has been one long <laughs> podcast. I'm getting cabin fever. Man. Yeah, so we're just going to f- top it off with Argue the Inarguable, which we have established is a, fa- a fan favourite. So we have to go on well, with Well, you've it. had two submitted this week. Yeah, well, exactly. Doing yeah, a yeah, job for you. It's been good. Thank you very much, people. So, Glenn Conley, for you, Martin. As there have been so many bad decisions over the last couple of weeks, we should just pick three boxing experts from the crowd who are shouting, knock him out already, to judge the fights so that there's a clear winner every time. Yeah, so I sit, uh, you know, down at your call, you hear nearly every shout from the crowd because the place is so compact. I hear it week in, week out when I'm down there. It's those boxing experts. And, you know, alcohol gives you a lot more confidence in everything that you do. So you're a more confident judge of everything when you're off your nut from the bar. Um, and so quite often what they're shouting is very, very... Uh, Clarity juice. Relevant information for that fighter in the ring. So <laughs> shouting things like, punch him, knock him out. They're the key fundamentals of any boxing match. So if you're not doing that, if you're not looking to punch him and you're not looking to knock him out, then what are you doing? So those people are the experts and we should... Instead of disregarding their alcoholic rants at the back, we ought to be embracing them, bringing them in, getting them down at ringside, getting them judging. Punching. It's him! It's him! Knock him out! Excellent. Don't let him hit you! Right, for you, Terry. <laughs> we covered um, Alex Kingsley's question from earlier, but he did actually send through a few. What I've done is I've put some of them on the back burner. We'll talk about them next week. But for now, uh, we're going to use your argue the inarguable. So apologies if uh, <laughs> if that breaks your heart, but time constraints and whatnot. Anyway, Terry, Alex Kinsley says, Your argue the inarguable is Joe Gallagher is a versatile trainer with multiple game plans and he has turned Scott Quigg into a slick shoulder-rolling mover and this is what we'll see on the 10th of December. Scott Quigg, that paradox, a man who walks on two legs but talks like Stephen Hawking half the time. <laughs> Um, hopefully Joe Gallagher's fixed that before he fixes anything else, you know. You know, he can test that theory of, I mean, like, you know, I don't like Scott Quigg, why am I doing this? Um, <laughs> the biggest issue Scott Quigg's got is, is he going to make weight or is he going to eat too many crayons beforehand? 
Not to mention the ones up he's poked up his nose. Ah, oh, you stole my line there, you bastard. I was going to throw that in there. He has moved up in weight as well, hasn't he? He's gone to follow Frampton. He's going up uh, featherweight. Not that I give a shit. I don't care. But... Yo, know that's like that's like the ex-girlfriend following the boyfriend. She's going, come on. Talk oh, to me. Don't move away. Talk to me. You saw this out. You saw this out. Frampton's like, Harrer. Harrer. Right. I think we've lost it. We're oh, going God. to We're cool down. down the vocal Nearly cords. Nearly two hours. And I'm going to work, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, but that's, look, look, they, they don't know what time we record this. It no. doesn't mean anything to guys. They're like, well, no. so am I. <laughs> they listen yeah. to me. Well, I'm off to work. In the morning. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, enjoy your day, as will I. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go, oh, massive shout content. out to Umar Sadiq. One of the funniest guys on social media right now. And the only guy yesterday at Wembley that had sunglasses on. Go on, Umar. And the camera actually pans onto him. Like, if you saw that really loud Burberry shirt that Coogan ripped into. <laughs> and also, he was the only one that called out Terry last week for sounding like he was working on a phone sex line. Jammy bastard. Heavy breathing. But, but, <laughs> but being serious, though, like I, I, I'm really sold on Umar Sadiq. And it seems, God willing, that Eddie Hearn is as well. So hopefully Eddie makes the right choice. This kid is class. And what I like about him is when you talk boxing, he listens and he asks questions. And anyone who does that will never be a sucker in the sport. So big shout out to him. Big shout out to Craig. That's that whole, I call them the 2012 generation. The guys that seem to rise out of the, the glory of the Olympics. And now it's their time to shine. So big shout out to all of those guys out there. Go on, lads. Okay, thank you very much for listening, everybody. I hope you very much enjoyed our double headed podcast and we'll see you next week take care <laughs>